Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. And welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, we've got the latest on the race to become House Whip for Republicans. Number two, we'll look back at the January 6th hearings. And number three, Senator Hickenlooper weighs in on crypto. All right, Jake, let's get into it. You have the lead item in this morning's Punchbowl News AM uh, newsletter focused on the possible race uh, for the number three slot if Republicans, of course, that's an if, take the majority uh, after the midterm election. And it is certainly on. Yeah, so let's start with this. Um, We have no idea who's going to win the majority. Um, uh, because we're not fortune tellers, uh, despite I mean, we our bet. Some idea. We don't have no idea. Well, I'll tell you the idea. I'll just lay out <laughs> the facts. That Republicans need to net five seats to win the majority. There are about fifty seats in play, or so. We say this frequently. So, if if you are um, looking at that kind of landscape, you'd say that given everything that's going on, that five seats seems like a seems like it could happen. It seems like it's probable. It's not definite. Nothing's definite in the world uh, besides death and taxes. So um, uh, getting deep is, here on the, in the, on the daily punch is, this yeah, morning. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, <laughs> taxes are you must pay them uh, as some people find out the hard way. <laughs> um, so let's talk about um, so let's work under an assumption here that Republicans do take the majority, which we're not going to wait until November, you know, 9th to talk to report about this. Um, so the the open there are two leadership leaving aside conference secretary and these positions, which are fine, but they don't have actual power. Um, they have some power, I guess. But let's talk about the two races there's Elise Stefanik versus uh, Byron Daniels for, for Byron Donald sorry excuse me for um uh Republican conference chair uh and there is a uh, that's not going to be a a very competitive race Stefanik should win that quite easily then there's the number 3 so- slot uh House majority whip which is a three-way contest between Drew Ferguson of Georgia who's the current uh chief deputy whip uh, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, who is the NRCC chairman, and Jim Banks of Indiana, who is the current RSC chairman. So this morning, we st- we're going to start digging into this in a real way. Um, uh, Banks is, uh, we, we dug into Banks this morning in a in typical Punchbowl news, news fashion, which is our SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Let's go through these quickly. Strengths. Banks argues that he's a conservative, and um, if you look, t- if you look toward, I mean, they're all conservatives at this point. I mean, there are no moderates really left in the House Republican conference. Not like when you and I first started covering uh, House Republicans back, you know, three hundred seventy-five years ago, um, w- when Punchbowl News was not a glimmer yet in our eye. Uh, <laughs> but listen, R- Republicans, this is like, let's zoom out for a minute, Anna. Republicans. No matter what they say now, they could talk about their commitment to America, their commitment to the globe, whatever the hell they talk about. Um, there, there are two. There's one thing that they're going to have to do. The two things, three things that they're going to have to do. Number one, they're going to have to raise the debt limit. Um, that's necessary. That could cause a global crisis if they don't do so. Number two, they're going to have to at some point. You'd have to guess, unless they do this all in the lame duck. They're going to have to uh, appropriate some money for Ukraine. 
Um, and then the third thing is they're going to have to fund the government. So banks world's theory is that having a conservative in the mix is a, um, is a good validator to get those things through. We've heard that argument before. Um, Steve Scalise made a similar argument in um, uh, 2015 when he got into the leadership. And um, fine, it's, it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But that's the core of his argument, Anna. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, right, his whole his the strength for him is the fact that he has led the Republican study committee, which has long been, you know, kind of the largest one of the large groups of the House Republican conference and has used that to his benefit. Right. He's brought in a lot of bullface names, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Anybody who's thinking about potentially running for president has come through the RSC this, you know, over the past two years. Certainly, you know, Banks is close to former President Donald Trump. He's going to try to use that to his benefit, whether or not Trump weighs in into this race. We don't know. Um, and, and also Banks is a frequent presence on Fox News, primetime programming, I think very important when it comes to continuing to get that message out for Republicans. So clearly that's what he's going to try to use in terms of what the what the strengths are. I think, you know, moving quickly on to the weaknesses, there's a lot of questions here, right? He's relatively untested. He's only in his third term. He hasn't been in, you know, leadership in a in a in a stronger leadership position. And he, I think, the biggest thing and the biggest question, particularly for him, is going to be, what does he talk? How does he talk about fundraising? Both Emmer and Ferguson are on the trail. They are supporting candidates, particularly Emmer. Emmer Emerson, yeah, Emerson more than anybody, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I mean, Emmer's, Emmer's role Emmer's, is, is, Emmer's. is to raise <laughs> Emmer's role is to raise money and to to bring up some of these candidates. That should be a huge feather in his cap compared to Banks, who hasn't done a lot of that. I just called him Emerson, uh, which is I, a combination I know, of just em- Emmer's, one into two. <laughs> Emmer's and Ferguson, <laughs> which is maybe that'll become a thing. Although I don't know under what circumstance it would. Um, uh, so the let's talk about the threats here to Banks. Um, and this is the biggest this is the biggest dynamic which I hear all the time in the leadership is if you know you hear this all the time if Republicans have a big night on November 8th, Emmer's gonna be able to say uh, Emmer could say, listen, I've won seats now two cycles in a row at the NRCC. I am going I was the um, I got the majority back, you know, elevate me to whip and that's a powerful argument. Um, you, you, as McCarthy frequently says, you don't change the quarterback, you don't change the coach when you're about to win, after you won the Super Bowl, or uh, I think that's what he says, but um, something like that. And, and that's a powerful argument. I don't want to minimize that because it's it's um, it's definitely true. And and Emmer has a lot of interactions with this new freshman class, some of whom might feel indebted to him. Many of many of whom will actually feel more indebted to CLF, but. Um, uh, uh, I just think that is a that's a powerful dynamic vis-a-vis a leadership race. But um, we're gonna have to see how this works out. McCarthy is not weighing in. Um, you know, uh, he's really not. He wants them to fight this out on his own on their own, and um, uh, that's in line with where he's kind of been personally on this. Uh, although maybe he'll take credit if, if with for whoever w- wins. But no, he he he's not. 
he's not weighing in at this point. We will have more on both Emmer and Ferguson in the coming days and continuing to keep a very close eye on this race. Let's move on to the number two story of the morning. At Insurrection Investigation, we have another big hearing today for the January 6th panel. Uh, of course, it's expected to be its final public hearing. And I think that t- we took a moment this morning to take a look back at where the panel has been, how it's changed congressional investigations, both bad and good. Um, it, you know, if nothing else, it was like the January 6th insurrection, Jake. The select committee has done an, an unprecedented job. Um, they've engaged in an extraordinary legal, political, NPR battle with former President Donald Trump. And they've largely won. I mean, it's it's pretty stunning when you look back. You know, it's we're always kind of in this era of what's next, what's next, what's next. But when you do look back, um, just in terms of the amount of information that the committee got, how they were able to get you know more than twenty three hundred text messages from former White House chief of staff Mark Meadows alone, um, the kind of pretty priceless ability that they were able to you know basically take a panel that was controlled by Democrats because of the issues with getting Republicans and the fight with between Pelosi and McCarthy there to kind of weave a narrative that you don't typically see a congressional committee do for prime time in the same way um, that, that, that has ever probably happened before in history. Yeah, I want to, um, the thing that, um, uh, that stuck out to me um, and I wasn't on the briefing call uh, yesterday with the committee, uh, with committee aides, um, the Brez was. This hearing is going to be two and a half hours. Um, I know things are slow uh, in Washington <laughs> and on Capitol Hill, but Lord have mercy. Um, appointment television for two and a half hours. I mean, oh. Anyway, uh, well, I am traveling and you are traveling, so neither of us will be uh, in the room, although monitoring it for sure. Um yeah, I you know I the, the big question is what's next? Where what is when does this report come out? Um, and what does that look like? And is this actually their last hearing? Um, because there's been mixed signals on whether they'll do another hearing, and if they get more stuff, they're going to do another hearing. So, um, you know, I've asked uh, Republicans what they'll do about the January sixth committee. And my, the response has generally been, will it even be around next Congress? Meaning, will Democrats leave it in place? I mean, McCarthy, if he's speaker, gets to decide on select committees. I mean, it's not like it's not a standing committee. It's authorized till the I, I think that how it's works. It's it's authorized to the end of the Congress. Uh, it's a select committee. It's not a standing committee. So um, where does that go from here? I don't think I, I would have to imagine they're not going to. Um, they, they they are not going to keep this thing around um, uh, uh, next Congress. But, um, Anna, I know you're going to TiVo all two and a half hours and just watch it, uh, you know, in slow motion so you can really soak it up. <laughs> I, it, you know, I, I, don't be telling people my t- watching habits, Jake. <laughs> that's, this gets I know personal that's your, here. I know, I know that's your weekend. I just, before we go to Miami, before we go to Miami for Francis, our interview with Francis Suarez, which is Monday in Miami. Come if you are in Miami, or if you want to travel to Miami to come, please do that as well. Um, I know that's what you're going to be doing this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the number to the number three story of the morning. A great item here. Um, Brendan Peterson, our new financial services reporter, 
breaking some news this morning, Jake. Uh, Senator John Hickenlooper, Democrat from Colorado, sending a warning letter to Gary Gensler, chair of the SEC. Uh, this letter, which he has in detail, and we have a PDF up, up on punchbowl.news. You should check it out in full. Uh, has the message, it's time for the agency to write rules for crypto securities in a quote-unquote transparent notice and comment regulatory process. Yes. So this is interesting because uh, obviously Hickenlooper is a Democrat. Gary Gensler is appointed by a Democratic president as a Democrat himself. Um, but this is the, you know, I would say, I would say uh, for context, this is the kind of war that's going on with crypto. Just it's the wild, wild west right now. Um, and it's, it's one of the most important kind of regulatory and legislative issues that the next Congress will face. And, and as we know, this, this, uh, they've not been able to get a stable coin bill through. They've not been able to kind of regulate this in a way that's bipartisan and that the administration wants, um, I, I, the administration, if if Republicans take the majority, they're going to have to work with Patrick McHenry on this. And Patrick McHenry is a serious legislator when it comes to a lot of things, but he understands crypto. He has a good staff when it comes to crypto. Um, but this is, you know, this just shows a little bit of agitation around around the regulation of crypto. I suggest everyone, you know, obviously subscribe to Punchbowl News, but go to punchbowl.news and read this. It's a, it's a good item, really interesting. All right, with that, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. We hope you have a great day. Please share the Daily Punch. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. And as Jake says, you can subscribe and get all of these items in your morning inbox. Uh, go to punchbowl.news and sign up for our free morning newsletter. Have a great day and stay safe.